Welcome to History Through Biography, exploring the lives of famous and noteworthy Americans from the founding to the present. And now our hosts, authors Joe Farrell, Joe Farley, and Lawrence Knorr. We're at the Idle Minds studio in Lemoyne, Pennsylvania, apparently overlooking Wormleysburg, Pennsylvania. And our topic today is the Battle of Gettysburg, something the three of us have written about and uh, investigated over the years. I know uh, we have numerous chapters in the Keystone Tombstones book that have individuals who partook in the Battle of Gettysburg or buried in Pennsylvania. Uh, We also have the Keystone Tombstones Civil War volume where we uh, also talk about these people and (laughs) we really kind of go overboard and have even a third book for our audience to pick up uh, that gets specific about the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, and the individuals who, who played a role there and are buried in Pennsylvania. And I'm going to kick off today's discussion talking about the highest-ranking soldier killed at the Battle of Gettysburg. His name was John Fulton Reynolds, and he lived from 1820 until July 1st, 1863. If you know anything about the Battle of Gettysburg, it was fought from July 1 until July 3rd, 1863. So... John Reynolds didn't get very far into the battle. Uh, He was killed on the first day. And when you come to Gettysburg and you go to the National Cemetery, uh, he greets you, not he himself, but a statue of him is at the entrance. Also, you can find a John Reynolds monument along the Chambersburg Road, an equestrian monument. Not too far from there is the spot where he was killed. And I'm just going to put it out to the Joes. What do you guys remember about John Reynolds, if anything, in your research and your travels? I have like two things come to mind right away when you say that. The first is that I had read that John Reynolds was like the best soldier in the army. He was the best. And, of course, he was offered the, the, uh, the, the commanding position, I think, by Lincoln. Is that right? Yeah. And then, and and I, I remember reading that Buford, when he was, when they were at Gettysburg, and the entire uh, Reb army is coming at them, and they have 1,200 guys, his colonels were giving him a hard time about holding the position while the whole Reb army descends on them. And they were saying, you know, we waited here and no one showed. We waited there and no one came, you know. And Buford silences them by saying, we're talking about John Reynolds. John Reynolds will come. They, he had complete confidence that Reynolds would show up, which, of course, he did. Yeah. And then I read that, um, and it's been verified, that indeed his early killing really deflated the troops, as word spread that night, the troops were very, very despondent that they had lost John Reynolds. And, and they really trusted him, and they believed in him, and it was like a big, big loss. It's like, like well, now what? Who's going to lead us now? Especially the Iron Brigade. I think they were very despondent about losing Reynolds. Yeah, he. Uh, so he was a West Point cadet, so he came up through the ranks with a lot of the guys on both sides. He knew George Thomas really well from the, the uh, Mexican War. And 
right at the outbreak of the Civil War, he was the commandant of cadets at West Point. And uh, that's quite an honorable position. They only put the best soldiers in, in those positions. So there he was in charge of all the cadets at West Point. That was from 1860 to 1861. And I think Custer graduates while he's there or soon after he's there. Barely graduates. Yeah, is that right? You, you know Custer barely graduated? I think he was last in his class. Wow. Yeah, I think he was last or next to last in his class. And probably knocked down by John Reynolds a few times, I'm yes, sure. Yes, so barely graduated. But, but, but you've got some uh, ancestry with, with Reynolds, right? Yes, and I did not mention that in the opening. Okay, well, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, John Reynolds is a... I would say a dis- distant cousin. Uh, he's descended from the Lefevre family, uh, French Huguenot family that's pretty prevalent in Pennsylvania. I'm also uh, related to them. And I believe, and I can't prove this, but I think Reynolds is also related to Milton Hershey, uh, which I have a connection to Milton Hershey as well. And it's through the, a similar group of families in the Lancaster area, Huguenots and uh, Mennonite families that are closely related. Anybody that likes chocolate has a relationship with Milton Hershey. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Spending mon- mon- a lot of money over the years. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but, you know, Joe Farrell mentioned uh, about the opportunity with Lincoln. And, you know, anybody who studies the Civil War knows the history of the generals just churning through the generals and a uh, there was McClellan for quite a while, and then I think it was, was it Hooker who followed McClellan? But he offered it to Lee first, right? And in Lee the, turned very, it down. In the very beginning. Yeah, yes. Lee turned it down. When did he offer it to Reynolds? It was about, well, it was, around, it was when Meade got it, so it was late, okay. I think it was late May, early June. It was Hooker and Burnside, too, I think, served yeah. as commander. Yeah. So what I didn't know and found out recently is that there is a Lincoln connection for Reynolds and that Lincoln's brother-in-law was a West Point cadet and knew Reynolds from West Point. So those two were connected that way. So there might have been some some connection there, but Reynolds, uh, the commandant of of cadets at West Point, decorated now Major General. He was offered the command of the Army of the Potomac. I understand that he turned it down could you imagine turning down Abraham Lincoln, who's asking you to take over the Army of the Potomac? Yeah. I believe he said, you can't win the war in Washington. Yeah. you got to be. The war's out there. So I've been asked this question, and uh, and I, I never really had a good answer for it. Why would he have turned him down? And you know, the, the generic answer is sort of, well, it's the politics. He really didn't like Lincoln meddling too much with the Army, with the, with the strategy. But I think there's more, there's more to it than that. And I think it's possibly, and I have to prove this, but I think it's a McClellan connection. I know for a fact that John Fulton Reynolds was a Northern Democrat. He had been nominated to be a cadet by James Buchanan when he was a senator. So there was a connection between the Reynolds family and James Buchanan uh, Maybe I'll ask Mr. Farley what he thought of the Buchanan presidency. Well, forget the Buchanan, but I would say that when you talk about turning Abraham Lincoln down, turning him down as we know him today would have been far different than turning him down in 1861. Because he did not have the reputation then that he has now. 
In fact, a lot of people viewed him as divisive. He's still considered, if you look at historians, to be one of the most divisive presidents because of what his presidency brought to this country. So I think it was a lot different then. As far as Buchanan goes, uh, I'll talk about him a little bit later, but, uh, <laughs> but he soon may not be the worst president in the history of the country. No. Well, we'll see. we'll see about that. We're going to try to stay out of current events and talk about history through biography. <laughs> but yeah, Reynolds turns. So here, here's the, the irony of this. So he turns down being in charge of the Army of the Potomac. If he takes that job, he's behind the lines where Meade is when the battle's starting instead of on the front lines with the Iron Brigade along the Chambersburg Road. So if he's not there and he's in charge of the whole thing, he doesn't get shot that day. He doesn't die. So that, that's one of the unfortunate things. It's like the first engagement he has after he turns down this role, he's killed. No, there's no conspiracy here. We don't think he was assassinated or anything. But his death, some have thought, might have been caused by friendly fire. Most likely caused by a sharpshooter, though. Some say from Alabama. So one of the other things is about the whole Meade thing. I believe Meade was actually his subordinate, but then Meade was the next man asked, and then Meade accepts the command. So it's like Meade and Reynolds, uh, in a sense, flip roles. And Reynolds and Meade, I think, had a pretty good relationship. Meade really trusted him, uh, certainly to be in the position he was in that day. So, And then one of the follow-up questions is, would Lee have escaped Gettysburg had Reynolds been in charge? Yeah, so if you think about the end of the battle, the day after, after Pickett's charge fails, Lee is beaten. Lee is in Pennsylvania. Meade has a stronger army and could attack, but he doesn't. So why doesn't Meade attack? And then the whole way back to the Potomac takes, a week, I think, a week, and it's, the weather's nasty, the river's high. Lee gets trapped along the river, and Meade doesn't take out Lee. He doesn't attack him as vigorously as certainly Lincoln wanted him to. So, you know, you could think, well, what would have been different, if anything, if Reynolds had been in charge? Would Reynolds have? We'll never know, but... Maybe Reynolds would have been more confident in command and yeah. might have been more aggressive. Yeah. What if Grant had been in charge then? Do you think he would have stopped? No. <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of brings me to Grant. So if you play this out and Reynolds wins the Battle of Gettysburg instead of Meade, does Grant get picked over Reynolds to be the guy the rest of the way? Or do you think Lincoln sticks with Grant. I think he's, I think Reynolds would have been in charge. Because of Reynolds' history. Yeah, Grant, sure. Grant had nowhere near the pedigree that Reynolds did. Sure. Correct. Yes. Yeah, that's true. All right, so was, now play this out. Play this out. One last little bit here before we break. We've been to Grant's tomb, that magnificent uh, tomb honoring Ulysses S. Grant in New York. Would John Reynolds have been president? instead of Grant. Something to think about. I don't know. Did, did, did Reynolds have any political background before then? Did Grant? Grant didn't either, but right. 
there were other guys that we'll talk about later that did um, have a political background. So I, I wonder about that. That's a good question. Very good question. You would think not, having turned down being the commander, that, that he doesn't want to get involved in politics. Yeah, yeah. what he want to do? It is he was question. also the wrong party for the time. Huh. Yeah. You've been listening to History Through Biography, The Battle of Gettysburg. We'll be right back. Just released by authors Joe Farrell, Joe Farley, and Lawrence Knorr, Legendary Sports Figures, Volume 1, with biographies of great athletes buried in Pennsylvania and New York, including Babe Ruth, Richie Ashburn, Josh Gibson, Gil Hodges, Arnold Palmer, Joe Paterno, Triple Tiara winner Ruffian, and many more. Available at www.sunburypress.com and wherever books are sold. This is History Through Biography, The Battle of Gettysburg. I'm going to hand it off to Joe Farrell. Well, one of the uh, intriguing stories that I think I just, you know, uncovered uh, in doing research was uh, the story of John Burns. I had visited the Gettysburg battlefield many times and drove past or stopped at the statue of John Burns and read the plaque there. But that really doesn't do justice to the story of John Burns. It, it, it just minimal, minimalizes it, I think. It's an intriguing story and a sad story in many ways. But um, the, the, he, John Burns was a, a veteran of the War of 1812, where he fought in numerous battles, including the Battle of uh, Lundy's Lane, which was supposed to be the bloodiest battle of the War of 1812. And, um, and it was in July of 1814. And... Uh, and then he was also a veteran of the Mexican War, where he fought valiantly. And so when the Civil War broke out, he immediately volunteered. But he was 67 years old, and they sort of rejected him. They allowed him, though. So he was younger than you and I. <laughs> <laughs> so we'd have been lucky and, at the and time. older than me. <laughs> Go ahead. Now, they permitted him to serve as a teamster driving wagons of supplies and stuff for the Union Army for a short time, but then was sent home to Gettysburg, which I think might be a clue to his mental capabilities at the time. Do you think it was mental, or do you think it was the bottle? Oh, I don't know. I, 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 okay. I didn't read anything about the bottle. Okay. <laughs> Is the bottle involved? <laughs> With John Burns, do you know? I don't know. Oh, okay. I don't know, but he's Irish, right? I'm just kidding. Scottish. 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 Okay. Yes. He's Scottish. Oh, then yes. it'd be whiskey. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but he was sent home to Gettysburg. How he came to live in Gettysburg, I don't know, and I couldn't find anything about that. He was originally from Burlington, New Jersey, is where he was born and raised in New Jersey. How he made his way to Gettysburg, I really don't know. I bet you it was by horse or wagon. <laughs> <laughs> But Just in, kidding. In, in any event, he was appointed constable in Gettysburg. I guess being a vet and maybe knowing how to handle guns or whatever, uh, he was made the constable in Gettysburg. And I think it was intriguing that when the Rebs arrived on the 26th of June, Jubal Early took over the, the town and... Um, and they arrested Burns because he was putting up such a fuss. So in, uh, in June 26, when Jubal Early arrived and took over the town of Gettysburg, 
Burns was using his authority and resisting so badly that they jailed him. They put him in his own jail. It was just like uh, trying to prevent them from taking horses and uh, threatening them and arresting them. and all. So they jailed him. So, they, er, so early was early to the battle. But anyway, I'm digressing. <laughs> <laughs> what, so what's, what's interesting is, and gives you a piece, a look at his character, is when the Rebs started to leave town, leaving Gettysburg, on their way further north, they released him. On the 30th of June, they actually released him. He arrested and jailed a number of early troops that were like the stragglers, the last ones out of town. He arrested them and jailed them and held them until Buford arrived and turned them over to Buford. Now, that's a cantankerous character. Yeah, that's actually, they, they may have straggled because they wanted to be arrested. <laughs> Good they, may point. Have, they may have seen that as their best way. <laughs> yeah, given what they were in Pickett's division, they knew it was coming. Yeah, right? there you go. <laughs> um, on the day of the battlefield, Burns calmly walked out onto the battlefield with his old musket and met a Union uh, soldier, a wounded soldier, and asked him if he could borrow his rifle, and he agreed. And so he borrowed the newer musket from the wounded soldier, and the soldier gave him cartridges, which he filled his pockets with. And it was quite a sight, apparently. It was, it was you know, there's a lot of comments from people who saw him as he arrived, and, and he had on a, uh, a, um, uh, a trousers and a waistcoat, and a blue uh, uh, swall tail coat with with tails the whole like time. Old fashioned clothes. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, a high black silk hat. And all the soldiers were doing like double takes and like pointing at him and saying like, "Look at this guy!" <laughs> and he, he goes and finds a uh, officer, a major Chamberlain for permission to join in the fight. Chamberlain sends him to a colonel, Langhorn Worcester, to make a decision on whether he can join the fight. And the colonel says, yeah, okay, go ahead. <laughs> so he held his own. Yeah. Actually, according to most of the witnesses, um, he, uh, he, he set himself up behind a stone wall and performed as a sharpshooter. They said he focused on officers on horseback and shot at least one out of the saddle. I hope it wasn't John Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> we could be putting something together here nobody else has connected. <laughs> right. Well, hopefully he wasn't using the bottle that day, but yes, go ahead. Right. <laughs> um, so the story continues that Burns was wounded three times during this battle, during a skirmish. And when the Union officers fell, fell back, they abandoned him. They left him. He was shot three times, and they, they were, had to be moved back. He crawled away from his rifle and buried his ammunition, knowing 
that had he been caught as an ununiformed combatant, that would be a summary execution. And that's the way it was. So he crawled away, buried his ammunition, and when the Rebs captured him, he convinced them that he was just a, a local guy who got caught up in it all and had been accidentally shot. And, and they nursed him back, dressed his wounds, and, and uh, took care of him until he could escape back into the Union lines. Wow. Now, he, he lives until 1872? Uh, yeah. Wow. Uh, he, he, he was 78 when he died. And um, uh, uh, he was regarded, after that battle, word spread, the Philadelphia Inquirer took a picture of him, I think. And anyway, he became like a national hero. Word spread all over through Washington. The hero of Gettysburg uh, was John Burns. Major Ab- Abner Doubleday the supposed inventor of baseball. But we know <laughs> right. isn't true. We know, so. Yeah, okay. He, called, he was the one that called Burns the hero of Gettysburg, and it, it kind of stuck and spread. Hmm. So much so that Lincoln, when he came to Gettysburg, requested to meet John Burns. Now, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> they walked together from David Wells' house when Lincoln arrived. He was staying at the David w- Wells' house. And he uh, asked to meet uh, Burns, and Burns and him walked from Will's house to the Presbyterian Church on Baltimore Street. His fame spread, and in 1864, Bret Hart wrote a poem about him called John Burns of Gettysburg. And Congress, in the same year, granted him a pension. So that... That's just an amazing how he became such a hero and such a widely known guy. I wonder if that exp- that pension extended his life now that he knew he was getting the cash. I, I'm one, It's been a while since we've been to his grave. Is his grave one of the ones that they fly the flag 24 yes. hours? Yep. Okay. It's, only, it's the only, only two graves that can fly the flag 24 hours a day, and he's one of them. Okay. Um, um, he had... Dementia, though he suffered from dementia, which maybe is why he was sent home. That's why you do crossword puzzles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Let, let him finish, John. <laughs> <laughs> he, he he started wandering away from his home, and then in December 1871, he was found destitute in New York City. Hmm. So um, who was getting who was getting his pension checks? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> he died of pneumonia, on February fourth, eighteen seventy two, at seventy eight years, and he's um, buried in Evergreen Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is you know near, right, right next to the National Cemetery. Right. Which and, is which is about the guy who also buried there is the guy you wrote the baseball book about. Eddie Plank. Eddie Plank. Eddie yes, Plank he's is been there. Yes. Well, the other grave that's allowed to fly the flag 24 hours is also there. It's Ginny Wade, right. who is the only uh, civilian uh, killed in the Battle of Gettysburg. <clears throat> this is History Through Biography, the Battle of Gettysburg. We'll be right back. 
Explore Sunbury Press books and find the work of talented authors in many genres. Ars Metaphysica is our spiritual, new age, and metaphysical fiction imprint. Among our titles, works by Kareem El Kusa, such as The Kabbalistic Visions and Phoenician Code, Chris Fenwick's The 100th Human, and Michelle Willard Hoffer's The ABCs of Narcissism, Soaring Past Toxic Partners. Find these and other intriguing works at the Ars Metaphysica tab and all works of nonfiction and fiction at sunburypress.com. This is History Through Biography, The Battle of Gettysburg. I'm going to hand it off to Joe Farley. Yeah, hi. I, I, I'm going to talk about John White Gary, who's uh, one of the most interesting men. And I'm a historian. I've studied history uh, my, entire, my entire life. One of the most interesting men I've ever read about, and I knew very little about him um, until we started this project where we, we, we began exploring... Uh, famous Pennsylvanians, and he's certainly one of them. He was born near Pittsburgh in 1819. Uh, in college, he started at age 14. He went to st- and studied law and civil engineering, but had to drop out of college because his father died, and he assumed responsibility for all his dad's debts. And then he went to work as a teacher uh, in engineering uh, and in land speculation earned enough money to pay the debts off and go back to college and graduated. And it's clear, based on his later life, which we'll talk about, uh, that he viewed higher education as very, very important. Um, How old was he when he went back to college, you know? Well, it was 1941 when he graduated. 1841, but yeah. Oh, 1841, yes, yeah. when okay. he graduated. But he started at 14. Right. So there you go. Uh as a young man, he was very active in the state militia. Um, and then when the Mexican War uh, broke out, uh, he was commissioned uh, as a lieutenant colonel to serve in the army. And during the Mexican War, I mean, this guy, he was six foot, at the time he was a huge man, six foot six, weighed 250 pounds. He was an inviting target. Yeah. A very inviting target. And in the Mexican War, he distinguished himself in a number of battles. He was wounded five times in the Mexican War. Later on, when we talk about the Civil War, he gets wounded five more times, including one time where people think a cannonball struck him in the chest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's when he was running for governor. He was telling that story. Chancellorsville. Okay. He was knocked unconscious. Wow. Some people say the cannonball went by his head. Other reports say it struck him in the chest and knocked him unconscious. I don't know which one is true, but he was knocked unconscious at Chancellorsville. But uh, he returned from the Mexican War a war hero. Uh, And then President Polk appointed him to be the first postmaster general in, in in the city of San Francisco. So he goes to San Francisco. He has to set up post offices. He has to set up mail routes. And he does such a good job at that, that when the next president removes him from that position, he runs for mayor and he wins that. Uh, so he becomes, he obviously had endeared himself uh, to the citizens of, of San Francisco. But then he had taken his wife and two sons with him to Frisco. Shortly after the election, when he was elected mayor, she became very ill. And he sent her back to Pennsylvania. And that was have been 1850. 
uh, uh, two years later, he had to return because she was deathly ill. Mm-hmm. And so she, he comes back to care for her. She passes away. And now he thinks, I'm going to be a farmer. I'm going to run my farm here in Pennsylvania. That's what I'm going to do. And then he gets appointed by Franklin Pierce in 1856 to be the governor of Kansas. He was the youngest mayor in uh, San Francisco's history. He now becomes the youngest governor uh, in the Kansas territory history. And he walks in there when it's called Bleeding Kansas. Right. You know? And he finds it intolerable. He's anti-slavery, but he finds the forces of pro-slavery and the anti-slavery factions to be unbelievably impossible to deal with. Um, In fact, uh, later on, he recalls his time in Kansas, and and, and he was getting death threats when he was in Kansas the whole time because of his anti-slavery stance. But he said, I learned something more about the depravity of my fellow man than I ever knew before. That's how he described his time in Kansas. It was, it was a difficult, I mean, anything that, I've ever read. So that was the Civil War right before the Civil War. Yeah. 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 So uh, when Buchanan, who we talked about a little earlier, mm-hmm. Gets elected. The he second, be, the second to worst president ever, according to you. Yes. Okay. That's right. He, he, well, second or third. Okay. <laughs> he becomes. Uh, he's, he he resigns because he views Buchanan as pro-slavery. Mm-hmm. So he resigns again. Comes back uh, to Pennsylvania to be a farmer, but then the Civil War comes, and because of his heroics during the Mexican War, he gets commissioned again to fight in the Civil War. And he fought in numerous battles, but uh, um, Gettysburg was one, and that's what we're talking about. And uh, he was involved on Culp's Hill, uh, which there's a monument uh, to Gary there that, that's been erected since. Um, but the wild thing is he made a horrible mistake during, during the battle. He was, because there was so much um, attention being uh, Played to the Union army flank away from him, he was told to follow another brigade and get over there and reinforce them. And uh, he followed the brigade and somehow lost them. Oh, gosh. And he marched off the battlefield. Uh, and what saved him was he got back to Culp's Hill as the rebels were attacking, and he led a fierce counterattack that drove them. Off, off the hill. So as it turns out, he wasn't needed where he was being sent, which saved him. And then he led this heroic counterattack, uh, which, which turned out to be uh, something that uh, cemented him as a, as a war hero. Perhaps the hand of God guiding him, or good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so... You know, but you know, he also fought, like we talked, we, uh, I talked about the, the Chancellorsville, he fought there, he fought at Lookout Mountain, uh, he fought during the entire Atlanta campaign and Sherman's March to the Sea. And in one of the battles, his oldest son, who served with him, was mortally wounded. Mm-hmm. And he died in Gary's arms. Wow. Yeah, his oldest son. Um, That's quite a story. And it didn't stop him. I mean, he kept fighting and fighting 
and fighting the whole way. You know what battle that was when his son was killed? I forget which one that was, to tell you the truth. But uh, it was probably, I think it was in Tennessee where that happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that they were uh, in a battle with uh, with the Confederates, and his son was mortally wounded, and he held his son till he died, which uh, I can't imagine. No. I just can't imagine that. And then, uh, so he came out of the Civil War again, a war hero. Yeah. And then he ran for governor of Pennsylvania. Now he had served as mayor of San Francisco their first postmaster, first mayor, a governor in Kansas. Now he runs for governor of Pennsylvania. This guy's still young. I mean, he'd have been in his mid-40s, and he wins for governor with the support of uh, uh, Simon Cameron, who we've dealt with in the past. <laughs> and, and then he goes against all the stuff Cameron's in favor of, all the special interests that that goes down the tubes, and Cameron becomes his enemy, and he runs a second time and wins again uh, without his support. So he served two terms. Um, he was against the railroads because of their political influence. So he did all kinds of stuff to argue against uh, 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 their influence in Pennsylvania politics. He pushed numerous uh, mine safety uh, s- measures at the time, which was unusual, and you know, we, we, which we know from the Molly Maguires. We'll <laughs> get into that some other some other yeah. event. We'll get into that. I'm sure we will. Uh, and he pushed loads of money to higher education, which I think was goes back to when he had his own troubles getting educated. Uh, there's a Gary Hall still at Penn State because of the money he pushed that way. Um, So he was considered a very successful governor. And then three weeks, three weeks, within three weeks after he left the governor's seat, he was in New Cumberland, Pennsylvania, not from where we sit now. Uh, And he suffered a massive heart attack while he was making breakfast for his children. And he died. And it was 1873, and at the time, he was considering a run for the presidency in 1876, which I think he would have had a terrific shot at. Yeah, because that was a contentious election. Well, God, yes. Yeah. And they, the Republicans nominated Rutherford Hayes, right. who was also a Civil War general from Ohio. So you've got... They were trying to get Grant to run again Yes, at that point. Yes, but he yeah. wouldn't do it. Right. Yes. But so, you, so Gary... Uh, would have been a really strong choice with his background, his administrative background, his political background, um, certainly his war record. Uh, He might have been a more attractive candidate than Hayes. He could have been president. He also would have been the tallest president ever. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) At that height. Is there a marker outside his house when you're nearby? There's, there's There's a historical marker in New Cumberland that uh, tells you that his house was located about a block away. Huh. Evidently, part of the house is still there, I, I, but not the whole thing. Huh. Yes. So, yes, there's a historical marker. Now, did you tell me, I think I recall you when you were researching, Gary, that there is no good biography of him. 
Yes, as far as I can tell, no one's ever written a biography about this band. Maybe we should do it. We've talked about it because yeah. uh, he's an amazing man. Yeah, it's an amazing story. An amazing career. So maybe what we've already written is about as much as there is about him, or he appears in other books, I'm sure, quite a bit. Actually, you know, it's amazing because I pulled out my Civil War books yeah. to try to find references to him, and the references are all about his uh, term as governor in Kansas rather than his service in the war. Mm -hmm. um, so even in the Mexican War, there's no reference. I mean, yeah, so... Yeah. Because I looked into that to prepare for this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And and as far as how long did he live in the New Cumberland area? Was it just towards the end when he was governor? Well, you know, he had a farm in this area. Yeah. Um, so he was coming back to this area and farming here um, uh, prior to being governor and then prior to the, well, of course, prior to the Civil War. And then afterwards, he was basically living in what's downtown New Cumberland now. We have a really nice grave in Harrisburg oh, Cemetery. Yeah. Okay, that's yeah. what I was going to ask you. That, yeah. that one was in Harrisburg. Harrisburg Cemetery, it's a, it's a real nice statue, and um, it, it was paid for by the Commonwealth. The Commonwealth of Pennsylvania paid for it. It's the only grave in that cemetery that actually has a statue on it, which is a statue of him. Mm -hmm. And similarly, there's a statue of him on Culp's Hill where he served so well during the... Where he got the, lost. The, yeah. Where he got lost, but came back and turned it around. All right. You know? Well, we're just about out of time. And uh, I'd like to thank you all for listening. This has been History Through Biography, the Battle of Gettysburg. Thank you for listening to History Through Biography. Be sure to check out our books, Keystone Tombstones, Gotham Graves, Murders, Massacres, and Mayhem in the Mid-Atlantic, Pennsylvania Patriots, Graves of Our Founders, and many more at sunburypress.com and wherever books are sold. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club! Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Ch -ch 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 -chumba. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.